Am I on? Okay, a little bit more. All right, is that better? Take your Bible and open with me to Revelation, the book of the Revelation, chapter 2. We'll continue with the fifth in the series of eight messages concerning Christ and his church and his concern for the church then and now. We'll read the longest of the seven letters this morning from the 18th verse through verse 29. Being reminded that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, and so we're always looking to see him in a very particular and special way. <clears throat> revelation 2.18, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her a space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into the bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one according to his works. And unto you I say, and unto the rest at Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. He that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessel, as the vessel of a potter, shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I received of my Father, I will give him the morning star, and he, should, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me just rehearse the outline that we have been and will continue to use during the course of the study of these seven letters. The same one applies in every case. First, there is a characteristic of Christ, some quality of his character that is revealed to us by the Spirit. Not a random revelation, but it is a relevant one, relevant to the particular problems of that church of that time and of this time. Then there are some words of commendation always as he walks through the midst of his church. First he accentuates the positive and has something to say good about what he sees there. In this case he said, I know your works, I know your faith, and in fact I know that your works are increasing and there are more now than there were at the beginning. 
which is not the usual case with Christians. You understand that there is a, a zeal that happens initially when we're saved that at times through time and experience begins to erode and evaporate and people begin to coast and relax and allow others to take the responsibility. But to this church, he said, I appreciate this about you, and that is that your works increase. You haven't coasted. You haven't slacked off. You haven't given up. I think the more we know of the Lord, the better, more effective, more efficient our service ought to be for him. And instead of getting less as time progresses, I think it ought to be more, don't you? And increase in our service for the Lord. But he said, I have something that needs attention, something of a criticism, and that is that you tolerate, and uh, NIV gives it that definition. King James says, Thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, and will teach, seducing people away. Now you know he's not talking about physical adultery here, but spiritual adultery. That which is spiritual unfaithfulness to God. And the consequences of that are tremendously important and serious in the sight of God. And we look at the fact that today there is a proliferation. If there is a fad today in the church, it's the fad of the prophet, the ministry of the prophet. If you watch much television, it's there. If you listen to the radio, it's there. If you pick up the periodicals, it's there. And so I think it's timely today that we look at this dimension of what God has gifted his church for. And let me begin by saying it is an absolute and wonderful gift. And we are told by Paul to the Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit despise not prophesying and then the very next verse he says but prove all things and hold fast to that which is good the neighboring epistle says we are to try the spirits and see if they're of God so a timely part and a very relevant part of this message today is that there are those who are not true prophets of God has been true from the beginning of the church age and has continued to be true even to this present age. And as we are on that subject, let's establish a few verses of Scripture that help us identify the true from the false. We don't have to speculate about this. We don't have to look for someone's opinion. The Bible is very clear in its definition and guidelines as to what true prophecy is all about. Someone will say, well, prophecy is true if it comes to pass. Not necessarily. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams that giveth thee a sign or a wonder and that sign or wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known let us serve them Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, nor that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you 
to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice. You shall serve him and cleave unto him, and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to trust or trust thee away which the Lord had commanded thee. So shalt thou put evil away from the midst of thee. Identical statement. Don't tolerate. There's a place for intolerance in the body of Christ. There is a place for intolerance in the body of Christ. And the objection that Jesus raises to the church of Thyatira is, you suffer that woman. You put up with this and you shouldn't. You tolerate this and you shouldn't. There's something that decisive needs to happen because of what is taking place within the body of Christ, leading away from the worship of God Jehovah and and mixing it with some kind of doctrine identified by her as the deeper truths of God. But in fact, Jesus calls them the deeper truths of Satan. So it's important that not everything that seems to say something prophetic or leading into a deeper knowledge of the truth, if it's not making us more like Jesus, more dedicated to Christ, drawing more mature in him, more active, more dedicated to the cause and kingdom, then it's not of God. If it's drawing more attention to a personality than to Jesus Christ as Lord, then we need to set it aside. And there are different ways that this can happen, kind of silently stealing its way into the fellowship. Although it's not pronounced from the pulpit, it still has entrance by way of television and radio and publications. You're picking it up and you need to have some help to know what is and what isn't of God. Turn back just to the book of Jude, just one page in Scripture. There's only one chapter here, but the instruction comes from verse 3 and 4. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men's, men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our Lord, only sovereign and Lord. So there is a silent slipping into a fellowship and the character is one source of judgment they are not godly but ungodly men turn back just another page or two to second peter from verse 1 this is chapter 2 but there were also false prophets among the people 
just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord which bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many shall follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Hear what the Spirit of God would say to the churches. There are those who are proven prophets, and there are those who are poisonous prophets. And we need to be aware that how subtly and how secretly they find their way infiltrating the fellowship. It was true then, it is true now. And there are many, many who follow their shameful ways. It indicates here from Scripture that they have great success. And because a person has a following, does not necessarily authenticate them or document them as a true prophet. Because many follow them is not the good housekeeping seal of approval upon their lives. But their lifestyle... What kind of a steward are they? What kind of lifestyle? Is it extravagant? If it's extravagant, chances are they're not a true prophet of God who in their greed, these false teachers exploit you with stories they have made up. There's something about the godliness or ungodliness, about the stewardship of their lives. If it's extravagant, chances are they've got a problem with covetousness. So we need to be careful of what we listen to, especially as it re references the grace of God. Turning the grace of God into license to sin, that deeper truth that they might say, well, you know, we're not under law anymore, we're under grace. And don't you understand that God is no longer giving us a rule book to go by, you can grow up beyond all of that and into the grace of God. And you need to understand more of the abundance of the grace of God. So in order to do that, you need to experience the abundance of sin. For where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And Paul had to deal with that when he wrote to the Roman church in chapter 5. But chapter 6, he said, shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. That's not the reason for grace, to give us a license to sin. But he said, grace is given to free us from our sin. That's not what God intended grace to mean to us. To give us the license to do whatever we felt like doing. And so if you were a citizen of Thyatira, you were living in a community that was controlled by paganism. And chances are, if you were going to have much of a job at all, you would need to belong to their union or their guild. And that was controlled by those who worshipped the god of Phimos. You would have to participate then in the banquets, and you would receive an invitation, according to historians, that would say, the Lord and God, Phimos, invites you to eat with him at his table. That would be your invitation to that banquet. 
when you arrive, you would see an animal slain in honor or worship of that God, then it would be prepared and cooked for you to participate in as an act of worship. After the meal was over, there would be the frivolity and, and idolatry and adultery of temporal priestess that were there for that purpose in order to participate you would be a part of that and so the struggle that was going on in that community between the Christian church and what was taking place in their community and the need to be employed and the supply for their families someone within the church arose to say it's okay you can do both you can accept the invitation of the God Thymus and you can worship and eat at his table and you can come and sit down at the table of the Lord too don't you know that those rules we've outgrown those and the grace of God covers it all turning the grace of God into license to sin and Jesus said I want you to know this I have against you you tolerate this woman's teaching you tolerate you put up with you suffer this to take place and then he gives us a little glimpse about himself and I love this about the Lord verse 21 I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not now that word gets used an awful lot a lot of people calling the church to repentance I'm not sure that they ever give a real definition of it they wouldn't know if it really happened it's not just being moved by our sin even perhaps moved to tears but it's being moved away from our sin it is being moved away from our sin we have not really repented by shedding some tears or making some overt gesture or feeling some emotion we have not repented until we have been moved away from our sin we've had a change of mind and a change of lifestyle that what we used to do we don't do that anymore repentance is a turning around about face going in the opposite direction it's not going through some prescribed little procedure feeling some way about sin or shedding some tears it means quitting what we're doing that displeases God now if you agree you'll say amen with me amen. that encourages me a great deal he gave her space to repent but she did not repent and I think an illustration helps us to understand this so if you want to go back with me to the book of Daniel chapter 4 Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon and he writes this chapter this chapter is totally different than the rest of the book of Daniel it is his personal testimony and he writes it in the first person while you're finding it listen to the first three verses Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people nations languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied unto you I thought it was good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me how great are his signs how mighty are his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation this is after the fact after God had dealt with him in a particular way he's saying I want you to know how God has worked in my life 
Notice the first person in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed, the visions of my head troubled me. And he called all of his wise men together and said, I've had this dream of a huge tree that's grown up that reaches to the heavens, and its branches spread out to encompass most of the earth, and the fruit of that tree is able to feed everyone in sight, and the birds lodge in its branches, and it provides covering for the beasts. And then someone, a messenger from heaven, came and cut this tree down and was instructed to leave the roots and the stump in the ground. And I don't understand what this all means. And none of his wise men could explain it. But they said, there is an Israeli here in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and I believe he can interpret the dream. And so Daniel is called, and as he sought the Lord, the interpretation is given in verse 22, it is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. That tree was you in thy greatness, reaching to the heavens and thy dominion to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one come down from heaven and say, hew the tree down, destroy it, and leave the stumps, the roots thereof, to the earth. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men, thou shalt dwell with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass like an oxen, and you will be wet with the dew of heaven, seven years shall pass over you, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. It's not you, King, you're not the greatest. God rules in the affairs of men, and gives it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree and the roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, here's the altar call, wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquity by showing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Now notice, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom, and by the might of my power, and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, thy kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, you'll dwell with the beast, you'll eat grass like the ox, you'll be wet with the dew of heaven for seven years. God had given through his prophet the interpretation of the dream and the altar call Nebuchadnezzar, repent. Cut off your sins. Nebuchadnezzar, turn from iniquity and be gracious to the poor. Make restitution for your sin. God will have mercy on you. But after the service was over, 
That was the end of the altar call. Took his overcoat, got in his limousine, turned on the engine, drove home. Nothing changed. Twelve months of grace was given. Notice that verse. Verse 29, and at the end of twelve months he walked in the palace. Was anything changed? Same attitude, same heart, nothing changed. God had given him a dream. God had given him the interpretation and the, the warning. God had issued the invitation, but he ignored what God had to say. God gave him twelve months of grace. He gave space for repentance, but he repented not. And what God had pronounced as a judgment to come, came. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad for the 12 months of grace. I'm glad God doesn't instantly send judgment upon me the moment that I sin. But he is gracious enough to give me a message that will identify the problem and give me the solution. If I'll repent, he'll be gracious. God gives space for repentance. And maybe you're in that grace period right now. He's talked to you. You know what offends him. You know what you're doing. He's not pleased with. You have heard his word. Supernaturally, God has identified the problem. And you know that it exists. And you've heard the altar call. And as of yet, you've done nothing to change your life. And as he walked in the palace, while the word was still in his mouth, God said, that's it. That space for repentance is finished. And now it's time for me to be faithful to perform the judgment, the word that I said would come. The word that comes to us through the revelation to the church at Thyatira, I gave space for repentance, but she repented not. So along with her will be her followers. And this is the tragic part. Along with her will be her initiates. Along with her will be her disciples, not physical children, four, five, six years old. That's not what he's talking about here. But those offspring of her teaching those initiates, those disciples of her, her bogus prophecies that are identified by her as the deep things of God, which the Lord says, I'll tell you what they are, the deep things of Satan. Under the guise of the deeper life of some dimension, but an admixture that leads away from, not into the presence of God. So the tragedy is not only the leader is judged, but those disciples are judged too. Not only the leader, but those who follow go with her into a time of great tribulation. So we need to be careful that we're following Jesus Christ, the Lord. And I believe in prophecy. I believe that God has ordained in the church gifts of the Spirit that bless us and help us to know him, to cleave to him, to serve him, to be dedicated to him. Thank God for them. But let's be careful not just to judge it because it comes to, to pass, not just because they've got a following. We need to look at whether or not their fruit 
by their fruit, not their gifts, you shall know them. What kind of product is being produced? Father, I would ask that you would help us today to digest something that will give nourishment to us. This is not an easy time that you've called us to serve you. But I doubt that at any time the true church of Jesus Christ found it easy. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need discern, the discerning of spirits to operate within our lives during the course of our service to you. I pray that you would help us today, Father, that we would not be content to allow anything to remain that you, by the Holy Spirit, have identified in conviction. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given to this moment grace, perhaps 12 months of grace, perhaps 12 years of grace. But there will come a moment when that grace period is ended. As Jesus said of this woman, space for repentance has been given. And with Nebuchadnezzar, a time period of grace was extended. But we don't want to presume on that grace. We want God to minister to us today with redemption. Grant the decision to turn away from, totally renounce, to be moved away from whatever sin that would affect our fellowship. And I pray, Father, that your blessing would rest upon our table and our time of communion together. Let it be warm and wonderful. Let it be a family meal that we share together. Lord, wherever there may be differences, we bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, wherever there may be hard feelings or wherever there may be questions, we submit and surrender them to the cross. We want only to enjoy fellowship here. Total unity and harmony of mind and soul. For those who are here and they do not know you as personal Savior, I pray that even at this moment their hearts would reach out to say, I need you, God, and I want you to come to my life. I want the forgiveness that the cross provides for my sin. I want the blood of Jesus Christ to wash it away. Make me a child of God. Give me eternal life. May that prayer. We say this is an open communion service and if you're here as a visitor if you know the Lord you're welcome at this table please join us and participate
in sharing these emblems together. Yvonne, if you'll come and minister, listen to the words of this song. Just let the remembrance of Jesus' ministry challenge us together.